Many experts attribute the first use of the term cooperative law to the famous German legal scholar Otto von Gierke, who wrote the magnum opus The German Law of Associations, a pioneering study of social groups and the importance of associations in German life, straddling the divide between private and public law. Cooperative law is now a rapidly emerging field of study, particularly following the numerous resolutions of the UN General Assembly calling on member states to review and reform cooperative laws in order to promote the economic, social and cultural rights of people and communities. In this podcast, we take you to Marburg, a city famous for its preserved medieval architecture, which is also home to one of the legends of cooperative law, Professor Hans Muntner. In July, a team of cooperative law experts spoke with Professor Muntner about cooperative law and the role of the ICA in advancing the knowledge and practice of cooperative law. The group included Professor Hagen Henry, chair of the ICA Cooperative Law Committee, and the student of Professor Muntner, Dr. Ifigenia Duvica, a member of the Law Committee, and Dr. Leonardo da Souza, a member of the ICA Cooperative Law Network. They were joined by the ICA Legislation Director, Santos Kumar. Professor Muntner was at his most candid, displaying his trademark sense of humor and, of course, his vast knowledge and experience of cooperative law. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you by the International Cooperative Alliance and its friends in the Youth Cooperative Um Association. In, in my country, I face it, we face this in Brazil with these problems uh, about cooperative, uh, about, about democratic engagement of the people. Uh, uh, they don't believe in democratic ways. So, uh, how do you think the, 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 the cooperative movement can improve or can strengthen this democratic engagement today? Is it possible? Well, I think it is not only possible, but it is the essence of the whole idea. Mm -hmm. uh, so if there are cooperatives, automatically there is a democratic uh, kind of uh, nucleus that can spread or not, uh, depending on how successful it is. So my opinion is that a cooperative that works well is the best uh, argument for a democratic economic performance. Yes. You saw the condition, a cooperative which works well. Yes. Mm. This yeah. is the thing. And on this little piece we have to work. Not, it's not enough to say cooperatives work well. Cooperatives are democratic. They are democratic if it works well. Well, if you have a bunch of collapsing cooperatives, it will be a very difficult job to convince anyone that this is a good idea. Yeah. So I think the success of a cooperative activity is the best argument for this type of working together. And that is democratic in a way that you don't have anyone pushing others, but you have one member, one vote, mm -hmm. and that is uh, the uh, democratic kind of uh, base on the whole exercise. And as long as this one is producing results. You don't have to run after propagating it. It will talk for itself. Sure. And now it seems to me, if I may, that it's the reverse. We're announcing lots of things. We are democratic. We are this and we are that. No. Do it and then you don't have to shout about it. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Professor. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> 
So, uh, Professor, thank you for that. One other question is, um, what is uh, the relevance, according to you, of the international statement on the cooperative identity? And uh, how do you view the fact that the Cooperative Housing International, the sectoral organization of the ICA, had developed its own interpretation or its own statement on the cooperative identity? So, uh, what's, do you think, how do you think the uh, statement is relevant today? And how relevant is for sectors to develop their own identity statement? Well, I think uh, the uh, answer is the same as with the organization itself. Uh, if you have one international cooperative alliance, you cannot have a second one uh, without weakening it. And so the argument is that uh, if the statement of cooperative identity is good and worth its, uh, its value, then you don't need a second one, but you can base the individual statements of the different branches of cooperative activity on that original one, rather than creating uh, separate ones that will be compete and then automatically weaken mm -hmm. the whole movement rather than strengthening it. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, uh, Professor. Uh, I think we have a follow-up question. Uh, uh, well, first of all, many, many thanks for your patience. Uh, with uh, regard to the ICA, what do you think that the ICA, as the representative of the international cooperative movement, can do for the development of uh, cooperative law? <laughs> if, if it can do it. Yeah, well, well, the thing is that uh, lawmaking is a prerogative of the state. Mm -hmm. And so the ICA cannot interfere mm -hmm. in that prerogative without creating bad feelings. Mm -hmm. So when the ICA wants to influence mm -hmm. cooperative law, at national level, the best thing is to have a clear international statement which, use, which can be used as a guideline for the national lawmaker rather than imposing this as a rigid must for the international, from the international level to the national lawmaker, which will create unnecessary bad feelings uh, and in a way rightly so because the the privilege of each national state is to make its own laws and it may use all kind of uh, examples as uh, as a guideline but not more than that so i think uh, as the ICA identity statement stands today in my opinion, it is a very good guideline without imposing itself on anybody, but by proposing what works and what, according to experience, does not work. And that is it. I think, uh, Thank you. It is perfectly clear. Thank you. Uh, and to follow up, Professor, um, is there space? Uh, to for another international legal instrument 
for cooperatives. Um, aside the promotion of cooperatives recommendation 193, is there space? Would that be beneficial or would that be counterproductive? Well, you cannot really answer that question with yes or no because it depends <laughs> on what other instrument is offered. So I think the ILO recommendation uh, is a good tool for everyone who wants to uh, make national cooperative law or policy. There are a few points uh, that could be improved. There are a few points that should not be followed by the letter, in my opinion, but I cannot now, from my own ex on my memory, uh, <laughs> refer to them directly. But I remember that this was my feeling all the time, that as long as you take the ILO recommendation as what the name uh, says, namely to recommend, and not as an imposition, then it is a very good thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think the recommendation point is important and everybody is free to use it according to its own experience, to own needs, to own maybe uh, chances. And if we were to pose the same question to Professor Henry. If I may yeah. just also comment or add to what Professor Luther just said. Well, first of all, he was not only part of the elaboration of the ICA statement, but also mm. key in elaborating the recommendation one and three we're talking about. And I remember that as far as corporate law is concerned, the recommendation 127 mm -hmm. is much more specific than the current 193. And one of his arguments was, we should not, you know, go backwards, so to speak. We have, with all the you know necessary improvements, you can always improve. The, the question is not there. But the if you look at the recommendation 127, it has its own chapter on corporate law. Much more, well, not much more precise, because the recommendation 193 is not at all precise. Mm -hmm. So we could have used that to give it universal, of course, uh, uh, value. And uh, so he, he suggested that, but it, the result, you know, is it, it did not go that way. So I, I think, because what, what, I, what I do in my work also, um, I don't know whether you have read the recommendation 127 as far as corporate law is concerned, mm -hmm. but I think you would agree with me. <laughs> it is much more specific. And all the questions which we discuss are there in a much better mm. expressed way than 193. Mm. I think as far as corporate law is concerned, the so-called predecessor recommendation, 127, is much more precise. Yes, so much it happens. <laughs> yes, so it happens, exactly. Uh, but, Professor, this 127, recommendation 127, was targeted towards developing countries. Governments. Governments of developing countries. Very important. So that is so. First of all, universal now, plus other actors, employers, employees, and corporate organizations. Very important. So four addresses we had none before, and it was universal. It was regional, in the jargon. But that 
that should not have meant that we have a good piece of recommendation on law and we could have taken that, copy paste more or less, improve it if necessary, that's fine, and give it to the best value. Well, um, Professor, the, um, we, we're doing this actually to, uh, as, as a step uh, in the direction of developing a, a primer or a report on housing uh, laws for housing cooperatives. Mm. We want to involve the member organizations of uh, the Cooperative Housing International and learn from them the status of the content and the implementation of cooperative laws for housing cooperatives, yeah. laws for housing cooperatives. What, according to you, are the specific aspects or pillars of uh, laws for housing cooperatives? For if we were to research, what should be the, the pillars that we should be uh, researching on? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would have a problem with uh, a law on housing cooperatives because I think the more specialized the laws are, mm -hmm. the less they can be used uh, for the entire subject matter. So I feel that the law or 127 uh, recommendation mm. had done a good job by leaving it uh, outside the sphere of the special problems of special types of cooperatives mm -hmm. which need maybe a special treatment. And uh, as I uh, already explained, the uh, new Ecogeno housing or whatever cooperative in uh, Freiburg mm -hmm. is not uh, looking for special uh, rules for housing cooperatives in general, but it looks for special types of housing cooperatives that correspond to the needs of the members. Yes, <laughs> yes. Indeed, by loss. So, uh, Professor Munkner, are you saying that the um, the guidelines? for creating a supportive environment for cooperatives that recommend or that provide that there should be a general law and there could be specific chapters for specific types of cooperatives is not entirely entirely correct? Well, uh, I, I doubt as a lawyer whether a law is always entirely correct. <laughs> <laughs> there are always ways and means to improve. So on the one hand, on the other hand, the more specialized a law becomes, the less it is useful for the whole lot. And so I think one has, first of all, to identify which are the ideas that are specific for a special type of cooperative, and then, if possible, leave them out. <laughs> because they are not having their proper place in a general law. Yeah. But therefore, there are some laws, even cooperative laws, which have a general uh, first part and then special provisions for different types of cooperatives, which in my opinion is the better solution, mm -hmm. because you leave the general points untouched and do not try to twist them in a way that they fit to specific <laughs> conditions. Yeah and then the specific conditions requiring special rules can be dealt with either in regulations under the law or in bylaws mm -hmm. and not in the law itself because the law itself by definition should not be too specialized on special cases.
unless it is a special law for a special case. <laughs> to add, I mean, we're talking about the draft guidelines of the UN, of which he was one of the main cooks, of course. Uh -huh. And I wasn't a point yet. I mean, you, you, you know, of course, that COPAC was commissioned to do the draft, and uh, so we were part of that. And uh, you see the handwriting. Now, when we read now, the, the, as far as corporate law is concerned, you will see why it's written the way it's written. Because there were not enough lawyers involved. Mm -hmm. in the <laughs> so, it might be, I mean, of course, I mean, it might be a German way of looking at it. So I share it. But I think beyond that, if you think about it, I think it's a good solution. The law is not there to go into the details. So this is a difficult one because the different techniques, the different traditions and what have you, you know. But if if we want to maintain this nice different purposes also. Yes. But if you want to maintain and sort of realize this nice principle of autonomy, now listen to the word autonomy. What's left for the cooperatives to regulate by themselves mm -hmm. if all the details are already in the law? Nothing. Mm -hmm. No. And uh, the, the definition of law is to set general rules. Mm -hmm. And general rules that going into detail lose their character as general rules. So it is not a good mm -hmm. idea to do that. You know, I come back to you, I think you raised the question of the relationship between policy and law. Yeah. This is exactly where you touch the thing. So these detailed laws look rather like a policy. And the policy by nature is, is subject to quick changes. And it's policy. Tomorrow the weather will be different. So we, you know, right. that's the thing. Right. Right. set a frame. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Thank you. No, no, no. Thank you uh, very much, uh, Professor. Uh, Iphigenia, you had a question about education and legal corporate law curriculum. In, in yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we, I mean, you have done a great work in uh, including uh, cooperatives uh, and cooperative law in the educational system in the University of Marburg. Marburg, sorry, sorry. Pardon, pardon, what should be done in order for cooperative law to be taught, to be part of the curricula of uh, universities, uh, and so that we can improve the knowledge and research on cooperative law? Because well, now it's just a footnote, and yeah. it's not being taught properly. Yeah, but the problem is, who is teaching? Ah, uh, yeah. So the, uh, it is a, a, a vicious circle in a way, if the normal cooperative or the normal legal education does not include cooperative not even in in the uh, law of associations where it should be but it does not normally be included then you cannot convince any self-responsible lawyer teaching at university level to deal with a subject that is alien to him and how should he then become familiar? Maybe his wife is a member of a consumer cooperative. Yeah. That may be a good coincidence. But yes, in, the, in the normal case, cooperative is 
an empty world yes. to many people and they also do not really make headlines all the day unless mm -hmm. there are reasons and yeah. then of course who gives the reasons and that is then the question who triggers off discussion on cooperatives for instance and uh, with the uh, with the uh, journals that we have on cooperatives for instance in uh, Austria mm -hmm. it is called Cooperativ mm -hmm. it's a very nice journal but it is read only by insiders and myself because I get it <laughs> but it is not a general uh, knowledge creating uh, device and I think that is a problem in the association law or in the law of organizations cooperatives play a relatively meager role and the reason is that not many people with cooperative experience are also writing such books. And so the question is how can you introduce know-how on the subject matter into formulation of legal, uh, legal texts. And that will then be you have to educate people as we have done in Marburg from the beginning during the studies and at the end you will have some people who have studied economics plus cooperative specialties they will later be in a position mm -hmm. if they are uh, advancing to be a head of a newspaper or being a, a high-ranking official or what to put this in but without their input there will be no input yeah. and that is I think what we are now experiencing there are many people in whose brain the place for cooperative is empty yeah <laughs> well said yeah. True. professor we were we were um, there a few days a few days ago uh, in in Leuven Belgium and, and during the ICA CCR uh, event uh, and when we could see the more lawyers studying cooperative law, so it's important. So and the people we hear huh, from India, Brazil, and, and Greece. Yeah. So a lot of countries studying huh, for Australia and Nigeria and other places. So what your final message to these cooperative lawyers uh, to 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 build this this future? That's a very difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we say before uh, the end. In, in yeah, my opinion, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the appetite comes uh, with eating. <laughs> so it has to be introduced somewhere as an interesting subject matter so that people are interested themselves in pursuing and studying and whatnot. Yes. And only after that you can have the result. Now in Germany, you, don't, you may not know, but there is an association of uh, cooperative uh, researchers. Mm -hmm. And there are 11 institutes of cooperative studies. And so this combination 
breeds an atmosphere in which cooperative subject matters appear in general company law or generally association law. Uh, they also appear in uh, economic policy and what have you. So not only law but also anything else. And so I think without this input, without the people who have whose appetite has been raised by consuming cooperative subject matter, yeah. uh, it will be very difficult to uh, put a decree up and say, from now on, this has to be subject of, of maybe of uh, teaching, but teaching without knowing. We have a lot of that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Thank you so much, Professor. Yes. Teaching without being convinced of the subject that you are teaching, even worse. So I think here there's a lot of spade work to be done at the uh, brain level of the ordinary academic teacher. But how to do that? This is a different question. Maybe involving them as members of cooperatives? Hmm? By involving them or asking them to form cooperatives? Yeah, well, we have some of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are some cooperatives of cooperative teachers, mm -hmm. yes. um, but mainly credit unions right? or uh, something like that, so the money. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Professor. Thank you so much, Professor. Maybe last word to, uh, to yeah. Professor Henry. Um, not a question. Not a question. Your message. <laughs> your message. You, 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 you as a cooperative lawyer, if I may, your message to lawyers in general. What would a cooperative lawyer give as a message to lawyers, the fraternity of lawyers of the world? I, I think it, it's a very simple message. I mean, as a lawyer, at least at the way we were educated, as a lawyer, you should be interested, not, not be a specialist in all the fields, it's impossible, but you should have an open mind to anything which deals with law. Now, I mean, cooperatives are a reality everywhere, everywhere, but especially in our countries. I, I find it difficult to understand how one can be a lawyer, be it a practical, you know, practicing lawyer, be it a judge. Well, the judges are different because they get the cases, you know, but especially the teachers or the academics, without seeing that there is such an animal called cooperative to which law attaches. How can you not see? I, I just don't get it. So, but now how to, you would ask me, how, how, what do we do? That is what Mr. Murphy said, it's a vicious circle. Mm -hmm. and you cannot, you will not be able to well, teach law if you have never heard about corporate law. So the worst thing, the worst scenario is that you think you can teach it without knowing it or without really taking it to your heart. Mm -hmm. So it turns in circles. So where, where do we break the circle? And I think what we probably have to understand, it's not a quick fix. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have now roughly 50 years of neglect. Mm -hmm. you know, of neglecting. Because it, it used to be part of the legal education. And then, as it used to be part of economics, it disappeared. Now, to revive it, I hope it will not take 50 years, but it will take much longer than we think. 
So groundwork, groundwork, just keep on going, keep mm. on going. If you can win, convince one of your younger colleagues, one, that's all you need two. And this one, again. So I'm not trying to escape, but you know, be realistic. Mm. But the, uh, So this is the, let's say, the, the, the personal part of it. Mm -hmm. But then become more aggressive. On the side, I'm mean aggressive. Yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, for example, on the side of the RCA, and or on it cannot be that taxpayers finance education on capitalistic enterprises. All the business schools are left. In our countries, it's free. Free meaning the taxpayer pays. But no one can this. What is this? What is this? <laughs> so here, I think the, the, the ICA, and sorry now to speak to the representative of the ICA, the ICA is. It's a giant, but it sleeps. <laughs> it sleeps. I heard yesterday, I, I did not want to intervene because I didn't want... Somebody said, well, you know, we are afraid of these capitalistic giants. What? Is the ICA representing one billion members? Or not? Yes, yes. If it is, it's not small. It is a giant. Why are they afraid? Of what? And, I mean, we are trying now. Ask, I mean, they should ask for education on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, public, not, not what they're doing themselves. I mean, you know, so that for us lawyers, what? Equal treatment. Equal treatment principle. That's it. We're not asking for favors, we're asking for being treated equally. Sorry. Well, here's to then um, considering that co op law could be the caffeine that would wake up. This, this giant uh, could be. But thank you very much, professors. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Yeah. And hopefully this is the first yeah. of many such conversations. I just wanted to add a few words here. Uh, if you take my example, for instance, as a case of producing a cooperative lawyer. Yeah, I was uh, studying normal law. So I was not uh, any uh, have any contact to uh, legal cooperative activities, mm -hmm. but then the German government decided to organize training for cooperative specialists. Two years training, and I joined that course. I was uh, one of the few lawyers there were three or so and twenty about uh, the whole lot. So most we are economists. And we were sent out, so I was working for half a year in the kibbutz, mm -hmm. uh, which really turned me into a very uh, good uh, promoter of cooperative activities in communities. Uh, and then I also was uh, sent to some other cooperatives, also a housing cooperative. And uh, after that, I was a member of the formation committee of that Institute for Cooperative Studies, which then for 20 years produced about 200 cooperative promoters. I mean, that is one way of doing it. And I was not the only one. There was an agricultural economist who had gone through a similar course. There was a general economist and we were a people, we were four mm -hmm. as a team, and that team has worked together for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. 
uh, working on this degree course. And we produced all together about 220 graduate cooperative economists, out of which one was the head of ICA in Africa, mm -hmm. uh, Kibura, Ada. Mm -hmm. yeah. And one was the head of the cooperative uh, bank uh, for Africa, that was with Raogo Rasmane. Uh, so it has worked. And we have also, I have another interesting uh, case study that also may uh, wake up the one or the other. In Mauritius, we had five former students who went then back to Mauritius to work in cooperative. One of them was reorganizing the fishery cooperatives on one of the uh, islands. And when he came back after five years and successful work, he tried to make a career, but in cooperative, uh, uh, how to say, organization, it is a closed department. That means you can only be promoted if a position above you is vacant. And he could look into the calendar and would see 20 years, no promotion. Except and this man, Rungepen, mm -hmm. he emigrated to Australia and became tax consultant. Oh, wow. oh. <laughs> okay, okay. More profitable. Okay, okay. Yeah, short-term profits. <laughs> but uh, well, thank you very much for that, Professor. Maybe since we are on this subject, uh, we can ask Virginia, how did you stumble upon or how did you choose to pursue cooperatives in, in your legal career? Like, how did you choose to become a cooperative lawyer, in simpler words? To change the world. I was fool enough <laughs> to think that I could change the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, <laughs> super. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and, and you, Leonardo, what's... Uh, I will remember the, the, the words from Professor to see the members, you know, shut up and listen. Uh, <laughs> I see, I see. But, but thanks, to the, thanks to the work of people like you, Professor Munkner and Professor Henry Dante Graconia, that uh, a modern, like a 21st century lawyer has it slightly easier, I think, to be convinced about the legal value mm. or legal relevance of cooperatives within the, within the law. Uh, mm. And that's certainly because of your contribution to the promotion of cooperatives recommendation, the guidelines of the UN, and the statement itself. So mm. I think that your work has opened windows uh, into public international law uh, for cooperatives, and that really is exciting to, yes. for us if you look at Article 38 of uh, International Statute of International Court of Justice. Mm. So thank you for making it very, very attractive for us uh, while you did sure. all the um, dirty work. If <laughs> I may. So. Let me add one little thing. Uh, when I was in the kibbutz, at that time, the Germans were not really the favorites, <laughs> so they were looking for a job for me, and that job was in the fish ponds to keep the net down so that all the fish would be caught. So walking through the mud, keeping the net down, and they did not know that I was a, a very great fisherman in a way. I uh, had wow. already done submarine underwater photography. <laughs> right. So uh, I, I didn't really mind the, wet, the mud and the fish. Mm -hmm. But uh, that uh, experience in the kibbutz has really 
uh, influenced me a very, a very great deal because I could see that the uh, organization of joint activities jointly in a non-hierarchical manner, in a kind of equal uh, voting manner, and the ways in which these poor creatures who had been chased from Germany mm -hmm. and out of their professions and had to start from zero, how they managed to get this thing done. Mm -hmm. That has really had a very great influence on me and given me some confidence that it is possible to organize matters provided that you do it the right way. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's Thank you, Professor. Certainly, we'll, we'll convey your regards to uh, Dr. Mirav Neev, who's, um, who's the legal advisor for Kibbutz Movement. She's a lawyer, of course, and uh, she'll be very happy to, to hear this podcast, I'm sure. Uh, and, and you're remembering, you're recollecting your days in the Kibbutz. So, thank you very much, Professor. Yeah. Okay. And uh, also, you probably know the professor of my professor, Mavroyan, is. Uh, Mabroyanis. Yes, yes. yes Unfortunately, yes. not longer. Mabroyanis yes. is Schwarz Blackjack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Mabroyanis was the professor of my professor. I see. Yes, yes. So sir. you have been influenced indirectly. I have. Yes, <laughs> yeah. indeed, sir. Indeed, yes. <laughs> so, wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you so, so much. It has been more than a honor. Thank you. Thank you, indeed. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs>